That back massage segment could have gone for another 10, 15. I'm tempted just to not preach. Well, just that, you know, it's just kind of a nice way to start a day, isn't it? You know, feeling loose, feeling good, feeling comfortable. Welcome to North of Five. If we haven't met, my name's Dean, one of the pastors here. And, uh, and as Lauren was saying, this is a, a great week to be here and excited to kick off the six-week journey. I was just thinking as Lauren was talking, you know, we don't want to look the same in six weeks. I might just not shave for six weeks or find something. So whatever's going to work for you, you know, you, you figure uh, that out. But uh, I think she's exactly right. We won't finish this thing the same as we started it. That's our hope. So uh, we are leaning into this question uh, over this time. How's your soul? And I love the whole uh, idea of kind of beginning to ask this question. It's not a question that we naturally ask in conversation. Uh, you know, if you uh, just kind of, we're comfortable with kind of, you know, how are you? How are you going? You know, how you doing? You know, hey, I'm fine. I'm good. And to be honest, it probably wouldn't work incredibly well if every time we saw someone or met someone, we said, how's your soul? And they unloaded the full contents of the answer to that question. Uh, it's not to say that's the ideal in life. I'm not sure how well that would work or uh, how, but to be able to ask this question, both of ourselves to be able to even ask the question, and of one another in, uh, in, in appropriate times and spaces, is an incredible question to be able to ask and to be able to speak into. The uh, uh, famous comedian uh, Ray Romano, how many people know Everybody Loves Raymond? One of the, the great shows. If you are married, it's impossible not to love that television show. Uh, this great just sitcom about life. Uh, Ray Romano was, you know, just kind of a comedian like any other comedian for a, a while, kicking around, doing clubs, trying to make his way. And then uh, kind of got offered a contract to go do this television show. And became, you know, one of the most popular sitcoms for nine, I think, seasons it was. Somewhere in that vein, eight to ten seasons. He became, at one point, one of the highest paid actors on television. And, and, and when he retired from that show and left it, uh, the show was still at one of the most popular shows on television. And at the very last uh, taping of that show, after the show was over, he was doing some it might have been before, but it was with the audience that night. They were doing some kind of dialogue and Q&A and just talking about different things and why they were pulling the pin on it, you know, at a height of its popularity, all these things. And Ray Romano said to the people in the crowd that day, he said, you know, when I first moved from New York to L.A. Uh, nine years ago, he says, I was traveling over there where the, the sitcom, all these things would be. He said, my brother wrote a note and hid it in my suitcase, and I found it when I got there. And he had written this note to me that said, always remember the words of the Bible that say, what good does it profit a man to gain the whole world but lose his soul? And, and he had this note written, and he got choked up as he talked to the crowd that day, remembering this message his brother had tucked in that suitcase as he went out to pursue his dreams and fame and fortune and all these things. This note his brother had left, remember these words, what good does it do you? What does it profit a person? What does it profit a man to gain the whole world but lose your soul? And he said, it's time for me. Now I'm going to go work on my soul. And it's a really, I, I love that realization because as we start this series and think about the importance of being able to ask this question, how's your soul? We know deep down that there is nothing more important in this world than our soul. 
than the us that is truly us. You know, the, the, the deepest part of who we are. And, and, and no matter how good life can get, whether you reach all your dreams, and, and, and for Ray, Romano, you would have like experienced everything could have ever hoped for, the biggest, one of the biggest sitcoms in history and fame and fortune, all these things. And he got to the end of it, and, realized, and, and he just said those questions. I, I need to actually work on my soul. You can gain the whole world, though. Everything on the outside of our world can be going amazing, but if, if the inside is not, then it, it doesn't make a, a huge difference what's happening on the outside. And, you know, John, uh, one of the disciples who followed Jesus, he wrote these three uh, letters that are kept for us in the scriptures, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. And in 3rd John, he writes these words. He's writing a letter to some believers, and, and he writes these words, uh, you know, to some people he really cared about. And he says this, this little verse here. He says, Beloved, he loved these people. He said, Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you, that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. He says, I pray. This is his prayer. It's a great prayer to pray. He says, this is what I'm praying for you. This is what I want for you. This is what I, I'm asking God to do in your life. I want everything to go well with you. We'd all, I mean, that's a great prayer. We'd all love someone to be praying that for us, that the things in our life would be going well, things would be going well in our, our families or our work or the things that are going on. It, it prays that it will go well with us. And uh, some translations put that, that we would prosper, like life is going well from strength to strength and that we'd be in good health. We'd, uh, we all want to be in good health. If we don't have our health, what do we have? And he says, I pray that everything go well with you and that you'll even have good health. And he says, as it goes well with your soul. And what is uh, so profound about this little verse is it, it speaks to that reality that the, the outside of our life will go well as it goes well with our soul. What happens and what is happening in the interior of our life, in our soul, is always going to uh, end up manifesting and, and, and building outward and, and going into uh, the, the exterior of our life. In Proverbs, the Bible puts it this way, that, you know, guard your heart, guard your inside, because it's a wellspring of life. What is happening on the inside of us will either be life-giving and have a connection to what's going on, on the outside, or... Or, or, or we will miss that. And so this whole question, how's your soul? And the time we're going to look over this six weeks is to really say, you know what, let's wrap our minds. If, 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 if so much of our life is actually comes down to how is it with our soul, what better question can we begin to ask both ourselves and one another than to be able to say, you know, actually, how's it going in your soul? We're, we're, we're more comfortable with the outside, but life itself is found on, on the inside. You know, when we think about uh, our souls throughout this, this process, uh, we're, you know, what we're talking about, I want to help us get a little bit of uh, common language, you know, our, our soul uh, is, is about the, the inside us. You know, there are some, and you may read, and different people kind of look through the scriptures, and is there a difference between your soul or your spirit or your heart or your mind? The Bible's always speaking to the inner world and often uses these different words a bit, almost interchangeably, your soul, your spirit, your heart, your mind. But all these things are always bringing us back to the inside you, the you that is really you. In Psalm 103 
uh, David writes these words. He says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. For this series, as we think about a soul, what we're thinking about is all that is within us. All that's on the inside. That you that is really you. We know intuitively there's a difference between kind of our, our body and, and the outside us and the inside us. Last night I was having a conversation with a couple of friends and they said, you know, how old are you in your mind? Like when you think about it, because it's always weird getting older, like your body's getting older, but you, the inside you thinks, no, I'm still much younger. You know, nowhere does that kind of made more visible than often like, you know, uh, playing sports and things of that nature. You know, if I'm playing uh, basketball, uh, my body may be 38 going on 39, but my inner being is still 25. But it always comes into this harsh collision with reality when I actually try to play a game of basketball. I find myself, I was with some friends messing around on a hoop a, a, a year or two ago, and we were just, they're dunking tennis balls, they're younger, and I thought, you know what, I'm going to show them, it's no problem, I, I do that like nothing. And so I kind of casually run up expecting to just kind of, you know, just dunk this tennis ball that was sitting around, and, and I was not where I expected to be when I jumped. And they laughed at me, and I was like, how's my soul? And uh, that kind of left a wound. And So then I had to, like, put in all this effort and show them, no, I can still do this. But it took everything with it. What once upon a time was kind of casual and easy required every ounce of my fiber combined with the challenge of making it look like I was not trying. And so... It's just there are these moments where you, your, your soul is the inside you. It's not your body. It's, it's the part of you that will go on for it's, it's everything that's inside you. It's the you that's really you. And the me that's really me can still dunk with ease. That's the truth. It's not true. It's prideful. I'm really just all the, you know, I'm just, you know, anyway, my soul hurts. And, but back to the inside you. So for this series, we're, we're thinking about how do we really... How do we tend to, how do we care for the inside us? Because we care, we, we know what it looks like to care for the outside us often. We know what it, you know, we know what it looks like to care for the physical part of us, our, our bodies. We know what it looks like to, to stay in shape or to eat healthy. We know that if you just eat kale and avoid gluten, your, your outside body will be perfect and you'll stay eternally 25. Don't, no one really knows what gluten is, but it... If you don't eat it, you'll be good. You'll be fine. Every, we all know what gluten is. It's the thing that makes life worth living. And um, <laughs> that's not true. That's not true. But <laughs> preach. Yeah, that's, <laughs> it's kind of. It's sort of true. It's a half truth. Um, <laughs> we know how to care for. We think about. We're used to caring for the physical us. This, we, we want it, but what does it look like to care for the inside us? And one of the places we're going to start on this is we're going to try and understand soul. It's the inside us. And I want to take us back to when our soul uh, was, was created. And we're going to look at this picture for a moment in Genesis chapter 2. Uh, Genesis chapter 2. When God created uh, human, uh, humankind, man being, it says this in verse 7. When God created us, it says, Then the Lord God formed the man... Of dust, made us out of dust, out of the dirt of the ground. God formed us like clay. And he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. 
This is this incredible picture, actually, that tells us something really profound about how we've been made. It says the Lord God formed us first. God, before we became a living creature, a living being, as you see at the end, the first thing God did was form us. He gave us a shape. He gave us a body. He gave us a, a container, if you will. He made us like the potter shaping clay, and he built us. He made us. He created us. But we weren't yet a living creature. We weren't yet alive. It says that that happened. God formed us first. He created our bodies. This is why there's a difference between, you know, our bodies that are, are, are wasting away and, and passing away over time and the inner us that is really us because God created us. He formed us first and then he breathed into our nostrils the breath of life. God then breathed his spirit, his breath into that form, and we became a living creature. Our body is not us. God formed it, but life came to us. We became living when God breathed into us. And when he breathed into us, we became a living creature, we became a soul, we became a, a real being. It's a, you know, we were creating God's image, we became a, a being that could actually relate with God. And and what I think is, what we have to realize is this, is that our, our true life, our soul has been given to us by God who has breathed into us. Our, the spirit within us that gives us life, it is the breath of God. You know, and, and so when we think about this simple reality that actually uh, God created us, he formed us. And our life came as he breathed into us, our soul in some ways you could say, it's like it's the breath of God poured into us. Well, that tells us something really profound about actually what our soul is like and how we're gonna care for it. It's telling us something really profound about who we are and how God's made us. We were reading the other day, my son, he's six, he got from the school library the, the book of Pinocchio. I've never actually seen the movie Pinocchio. I've never, uh, we all know the story of how he, he tells lies and his nose grows longer. That's as far as my knowledge went. But I was reading this story with him and it's got the great, this great picture where there's Geppetto. How many people actually know Pinocchio? Like you know the whole story and, and see, you know, he's got this, uh, you know, the, the, the puppeteer Geppetto builds this little puppet and wants him to be a real boy, but he's made him. He's got arms and legs and he looks like a real boy, but obviously he's not alive. And then, it, you know, the fairy comes and grants the wish and then he kind of comes to life and he goes through adventures and then he can eventually become a real boy. But I, I love that little picture even. That's the reality of how God made us. He made us in our form first and then he breathed his life into us. And our souls, the thing that is really alive in us is the breath of God. Do you know one of the... Uh, it was about 12, well, almost 12 and a half years ago now that uh, my wife Lisa and I moved to Perth. And, uh, and when we moved here, one of the great differences in, in life that I quickly found was in the process of ordering uh, coffee. And one of the great, so, you know, born and raised in the U.S., had never been to Australia prior to that point. And if you've ever been to the U.S., you know uh, how we like to drink our, our coffee. Kind of uh, black on a pot, sitting there all day, somewhat watery, not a lot to it, cheap, get her done. <laughs> and, uh, and so I went into, I can remember standing for the first time in Dome and uh, in this cafe, looking up at this signboard, and I wanted to order coffee, and I see this board with all these strange words all over it. You know, flat white, 
you know, what, long black, like what, what is, like the shapes and sizes, of, what is this, you know, fly away, I'm trying to make sense of this board, there's cappuccino, there's, you know, mochas up there, that one I kind of looked a little familiar, and I, and I said, and I'm, so I'm staring at this board, and she's like, what would you like, and I looked, and I was just like, I'd like a coffee, <laughs> and, uh, she's like, what kind of coffee, I'm like, I just want coffee, like that's, I, I saw you were a cafe, I thought I could come and order a coffee. And she was like, you know, what, what kind do you want? And I'm like, I just want like black coffee. And do you have black coffee? She's like, oh yeah, you want a long black. That's fine, I don't care if it's long or short or wide. <laughs> when I learned about liquids, they usually weren't measured in length, but they were, you know, I'm like, I just want black water that tastes like, a, you want long black. Okay, cool. I get it. Now I take a drink of it, and it pretty much knocks me backwards in my chair. <laughs> and I'm like, far out. What is this? And I'm just like, man, all I want is a coffee, you know? Now I try again at a cafe, and I'm like, you know what? I don't, I don't know what the long black is or the flat white and, the, you know, all this. And, and so I thought, you know, I know mocha, and I used to, when I would go to, Starbucks in the U.S., I would always get my favorite drink at, at Starbucks in the U.S., where we were from, was a white chocolate mocha. Now, if you've never had that drink, uh, I'm pretty sure it has gluten in it. And, um, <laughs> so I was like, well, I'll order a mocha. And so I started getting mochas, but I'm like, this is not what my drink tastes like. This is not a mocha. I've had that. And so I was started just adding sugar to it. And I found that, and this was before people discovered sugar's bad for you. This is the early 2000s, like kale wasn't invented. You didn't know about sugar. It was just a different time and place. And so I'm putting sugar in, and I'm putting sugar and sugar and sugar. And what I found was after about six or so sugars, now it tasted the way a mocha should taste. And so I was like, finally, I'm feeling good. It's not exactly right, but it's close. But it was like all I wanted was the flavor that I was used to. And, and what I found, and, and this became my thing, what I then discovered was this place, Gloria Jeans. And so I didn't really know Gloria Jeans. They weren't super popular. There were a few places, but Starbucks was more everywhere when, where we lived in, in the U.S. And so I started going to Gloria Jeans. And in Gloria Jeans, uh, you could get a white chocolate mocha. And for my first year or two uh, that we lived in Australia, if I felt homesick or really thought, I just want like a taste of, of, you know, of home where I'm from, I would go to Gloria Jeans. Something about the kind of, uh, the colors, the sort of uh, mass-produced franchise feel uh, made me feel like I was home. And I would get a white chocolate mocha, this sweet beyond measure drink, and I would have all these things, and I would go there and I would just feel like, ah, I'm home. This is like being in Starbucks. It just feels like, now, over time, everything kind of shifted, and literally, when I go to the States now, I go into Starbucks, and all I want is a long macchiato topped up, and I'm just depressed that I can't find it, so now, I go to Starbucks, and I mimic what I can get here, and they started serving flat whites about two years ago, so I get the tiniest size they have with an extra shot, and I'm like, ah, it feels like home, <laughs> you know? Here's the thing about traveling, going new places, no matter where you travel and go and what you do, uh, there is something so comforting about the flavors, the sights, the sounds of home. Where you, you, you know, it's fun to go travel and try a bunch of new flavors, but no matter how fun that trip is, when you get home and have your meal, there is something that's just like, ah, 
home. You can stay in nice hotels, and no matter how fun that is, you do it for three weeks, six weeks, and you go on a long trip, no matter how nice they are, when you finally get back to your own bed, you feel like, <sighs> home. You can travel from place to place, and you finally get home, and you just got your own space where you drop your stuff. Your home doesn't even need to be a nice place, but somehow when you're in your home, how many people know it just feels like take a deep breath, <sighs> You feel that? You know that sense? That sense of being in your own bed with your own covers, of being in your own house with your own food, of, of dropping your things in the places you want to put. Home is an incredible thing. Now here's what I want you to see this morning. One of the profound realities, when we think about how God created us, who we are, if our bodies need a home, if there's something reassuring and comforting for uh, our physical body when we get into our own bed in our own space, if there's something familiar physically about the flavors and the things that we have that just makes us feel like I'm at rest, I'm at peace, I'm at home. If we experience that on a physical level, can I tell you something? Our souls need the exact same experience. And when we think about how do we care for our soul, one of the great challenges is to begin to ask ourselves this question. When was the last time our soul was at home? Because when our soul does not feel at home, and when it is kind of nomadic, restless, wandering, trying this and trying that, that's when our, sometimes we don't even realize it, but do you know what our, our souls actually are longing for amidst the craziness and the noise and the busyness and all the things of life and the places we go and the adventures we take and all that? Do you know what our, songs long, our souls long for at times? What they need, in fact, is to be at home. And what I love about this verse where we see where we were created, capture this. God formed us, and he breathed his very breath into us and gave us a soul and made us a living being. Can I tell you something? Our souls will never be at home until they find their home in God. Augustine, the, the famous church theologian, had this quote that, you know, God has made us, made us for himself, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in him. We can go through this life and we're trying things, exploring things. We're going after goals. We're trying to gain the whole world. We're going after our goals in our career or our goals in our family or our goals in our finances. And we're trying to gain the whole world. But if our souls never find their way home, they stay restless. And whether we ever slow down long enough to put our to actually get in touch with it. Sometimes we don't even realize it, but our souls are just crying out to go home, to be at peace, to take a deep breath and say, this is where I belong. Our souls need that. And they find it in God. Do you know, David puts it this way in Psalm 103. We're going to look at a couple verses in Psalm 103. And David 
uh, the psalmist. If you read through the book of Psalms, all these poems and prayers and songs written to God, uh, most of them by David and, and, and a few other writers, but the writers of the Psalms are these masters in the soul, these people who understand how the human soul works. And in Psalm 103, you have this psalm that, that uh, some researchers say in some ways within that psalm you could summarize almost the whole of the Bible in just one psalm. Go home and, and read it today. But it's an amazing psalm. It has 22 verses in it. As the, and the Hebrew alphabet actually has 22 letters in it. In some ways, some people sort of picture it. It's almost like this psalm is like the A to Z of what life is all about. And so it's this incredibly profound psalm. And in the place that it starts, I want you to see where it starts and finishes with these words. David writes in verse 1, the first verse of it, the A, if you will. This is what li where life begins, what life's about. He says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Almost like the beginning of life, what life is about at its core is for our soul, all that is within us, to bless the Lord. In the NIV, that bless gets translated praise. To bless the Lord is to kind of take all that's within us, our being, our breath, the deepest parts of who we are, and to say, God, I'm taking all that and I'm turning it into praise to you. I bless the Lord. I praise the Lord. Oh, my soul, all that is within me, Praise the Lord. Bless his holy name. Praise his name. It's the beginning of what life is about in so many ways. And the last psalm, it goes through all these things about God and who he is and what he's done and how he works in our life. And it finishes on that final verse, the, the Z, if you will. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. Praise the Lord. Praise all those works. Praise his holy name. Oh, my soul, all that is within me, praise you, God. Do you know what is amazing? Do you know when our souls are at home? When we take the breath, the life that God has literally breathed into us himself, and we use that very life to return it back to God in praise, our souls go home because it's his breath that gives us life. And when we take our breath and turn it into praise, turn it into blessing, our soul finds rest and peace. Do you know one of the common experiences, I, I, I'll hear this story and people will share with me that uh, those who don't normally come to church, maybe don't have a faith, not sure about God, somehow or another they end up in church, maybe just one time, but so frequently I can tell you, People will tell me, or, or, or they'll share with the person, they'll pass on me, that I was there, and I have no idea why, but I just found myself crying the whole time. I mean, I can't tell you how frequently this happens. And they often are like, you know what, I just, I don't even know why. I don't even know why I'm crying. It's not, you know, and they, they just, it's just like, it's almost, can I tell you something? It's because their soul is at home. It's finding rest. They don't even get it yet. They don't even understand it. But the reason it's connecting at such a deep level is because that's what they were made for. To be in a place where our breath, our words, 
are no longer directed at me and my world and what can I get and gaining my world, but they are all directed at actually saying, no, bless the Lord, oh, my soul. Praising God together. And in those spaces, the soul goes home. And there is nothing more just peace-giving, life-giving than for our souls to feel at home. Do you know what? All these things remind us, you know, that God created us, that he put our our soul into us, uh, that he formed us, he breathed into us, that life is about praising him, turning our voices. They remind us that the world is not about us. Our souls get so restless because so much of our time is spent trying to gain the world, trying to reach our goals, trying to think about me and my life or my kingdom. And, and, and that's our natural bent as humans. But the reality of life is this, is that God made us for himself. And we experience peace and rest when we bless the Lord with all that's within us. It's one of the things that's so profound and powerful about why we gather on Sundays and spaces like this and sing words to God and words of praise to God and words of blessing to God because our, we actually step back from our entire life and world and say, my soul is at home in you, God. My soul is at rest when I remember that it's not about me and my life, but it's all about you. And I want all that's within me to praise your holy name. It's where peace comes from. It's where our souls find rest. It's where they're at home. You know, one of the pictures as well that I love of this, because I think one of the ways we can see this, we can experience this, is when we gather with other believers and say, in this space, we take all that's within us and we praise his holy name. We bless his holy name. Something powerful happens. Sometimes people are like, I don't really like to sing. That's why I don't sing. Or, you know, I, I, I don't even know why we have to sing so much. I'm not, you know, it's not... What, what is the reality and why so many psalms, they are songs, is because when we actually put our whole being into praising God, and there is no more powerful way to do that than through song, something happens on the inside. You know, it, there's something happens when we sing to God that doesn't happen when we talk. It's why, you know, the things that matter most that we put our whole being into, they're so often uh, communicated through song, whatever that context is. You know, every nation in the world has a national anthem, a song that kind of expresses who they are. You don't kind of just stand up and say, here's a short description we'd like to read about who we are as a people and what's important to us. It would not have quite the same power in an Olympic ceremony to have people stand and just kind of talk about who they are. But you hear the songs and people rise to their feet and emotions and energy surges through them, whatever your nation might be. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, all that's within me. What would it do for our souls to, to be in that space regularly? And, and, and I mean, where we don't just kind of come and I'll sing, or if the songs are ones I like this week, then I'll, but actually with all that's within us, on, a, on, a, on that kind of weekly rhythm and basis, we say, Lord, I want to bless you with all that's in me. But you know, this isn't just about, obviously, we don't just find peace and rest and home for our souls when we come together on Sundays. This is one space in which this happens. It's one space in which we praise. It's one space in which we can bless God with all our soul. But I, I want to read you one other picture that I think shows you what this can look like day in, day out. There's this 
great picture in the New Testament where Jesus, he's traveling and he stops at a, a home. It's a well-known story. He stops at the home of a, a couple of friends named Martha and Mary. Good friends of his, and he's going to be at their house. And Martha uh, is always remembered in the story because she's getting the preparations. She's got Jesus coming over for dinner. And you can imagine, you know, if you had Jesus coming over for dinner, how much effort you might want to put into that moment. You know, or how much even kind of, you know, this is it. I'm having Jesus to my house. I'm, I want everything to be just right. And I'm going to cook great food and I'm going to get the place all set up. And she is working hard and she's laboring. While her sister Mary, her younger sister, isn't helping her, isn't working in the kitchen, but is sitting at the feet of Jesus and just listening to him. He's teaching, he's talking, and she's like just sitting there soaking it up, soaking it up. And Martha's just getting more and more frustrated the whole time, so much so that eventually she comes out and says, Jesus, would you please tell her to help me? I, I, you know, I'm setting all this up. Would you please tell her? Now, you know you've reached your frustration threshold. When instead of talking to the person, you talk to the person next to them. You know, and you're just like, Jesus, will you please tell her? And she's like, well, am I not here? Could you not have asked me? Could you? She's at that level. And she says, Jesus, would you tell? And Jesus says to her these famous words. He says, Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things. But few things are needed, indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Now, the thing I love about this is because some of the times I think we think, Martha, you know, she had it wrong. She's worried and upset about many things. You know, she was focused on cooking and, and preparing the table. And, you know, she was working when she should have just been sitting and waiting. Now, the thing about Mary, what Mary did was she had assumed this kind of posture of like, there's only one thing she's there about, and it's listening to Jesus in that moment. Now, sometimes we think, you know, Martha, she was, but she wanted to cook. Now, if, if the whole point of this story was just that we should not cook and clean and prepare, how would life function, right? I mean, it, like, Martha, I mean, if, and if I was, would Martha have been like, I mean, must she, like, well, what, is the food going to make itself? Is it like... What do you want from me here? You know, I think sometimes we actually miss what the picture is that we can actually learn here. What if the problem wasn't that Martha was cooking and preparing? What if the problem was she was worried and upset about many things? If someone could have asked Martha in that moment, Martha, how's your soul right now? What would she have said? Jesus doesn't need to ask because he's Jesus, so he just bypasses the question and tells her, you are worried and upset about many things. You're worried and upset about all kinds of things. How the food's going to be? Is this going to be Pinterest worthy? Is this going to look great on Instagram? You're worried about, is everything going to be set just right? You're worried about the fact that you're working and she's not. You're worried and upset about all these things when only one thing is needed. You know, Jesus elsewhere, uh, as he's teaching at one point, gives this kind of idea when talking about the many things and the one thing. And he says that the eye, he says elsewhere, he says our eyes, he says they're like the lamp of the body. And when your eye is healthy, that your whole body will be full of light. And the word healthy he uses is also a word that can mean single. And in the context he's talking about, it's like Jesus is saying in this other picture, 
when your eye is only focused on one thing, when it's healthy, when it's strong, when it has a singular focus, when it isn't worried and upset about many things, your whole body is full of light. And it changes everything about you. Do you know what I think one of the pictures of the Mary and Martha story is and how this can look in our lives Monday to Friday is to say, you know what, to let your soul be at home, to let your soul be at peace, to let your soul be full of light does not require that you never work again, that all you can do is silently sit and contemplate, but it does require that we not be a people who are worried and upset and anxious about many things. I think many of us, if we were to ask the question, how's our soul, and we were to stop long enough One of the things Jesus might say to you is, you are worried and upset about many things. There's a lot going on. But the reality is we all can choose to have our minds focused on one thing, which is Jesus, or they can be divided and worried about many things. And that's when our souls are in turmoil. It's when they're upset. Mary knew the right thing. She's like, all I got to do in this moment, I'm here to listen to Jesus. How different would Martha's experience have been if she was not worried about how the food was going to taste, how the settings were going to look, who wasn't helping her, but she just thought, I, Martha, because here's the thing about Martha, and some, many of us are Marthas. Martha was like, she was the hostess with the mostess. Like, that's her thing. She was doing her thing. But imagine if she'd been doing her thing And instead of thinking about all the things that could go wrong and who wasn't helped and this and that, she was doing all just thinking, man, this is for Jesus. How great is this? I've got Jesus in my house. I'm preparing a meal for Jesus. He's given me this gift, and I'm going to use it to serve him. This is such an amazing moment. And and, and if Jesus had said, how's your soul, the answer would have been entirely different. So here's my picture for us, I guess, as we start this journey this week. What I want to, I guess, leave with us to begin this part of the journey is to realize, you know, one of the greatest questions we can ask ourselves and one another is, how is my soul? To begin to actually work out what is going on the inside. Jesus gives it to Martha in a split-second diagnosis. You know how you're doing on the inside? You're worried and upset about many things. How many of us can articulate right now or in the moment when we're hosting a meal, when we're at work, how's my soul? And what am I focused on? Are my eyes on Jesus? Or am I worried and upset about many things? And to realize this, that the only place that we will find peace, the only place our soul is ever going to feel at home is when we have it turned back to our creator. It's when we turn our focus, our praise, the entire direction of our life back to our creator who breathed our soul into us. I want to invite you to stand, actually. I'm going to invite the team up. And this morning, we're going to now spend some time praising the Lord. We're going to spend some time singing to him. And can I invite you and can I encourage you as we sing, not to make this a time of you know, there's a lot of things we can be worried and anxious. There's a lot of things that our, our hearts and souls may be tempted to focus on. There's a lot of things our minds may want to wander to. But we have an incredible opportunity, a unique moment to practice what it is like to let our souls come home. To know that the God who created us, it's not about us. It's about him. And when we stop 
and we put our focus on him, our attention on him, and we make it our mission to praise the Lord, oh my soul, all that is within me. Our souls find rest. Our souls find peace. Our souls get to go home. Let's sing together.